if it weren't for BU sailing, I, I don't know what I'd be doing with my life, quite frankly. Sophomore skipper No Robichek catches up with Ken Reed, talk about sailing, leadership, and everything in between. To begin this episode, we start in Rhode Island, where Ken Reed grew up and his introduction to sailing. I hope you enjoy. You know, I, I grew up in a sailing household on Narragansett Bay. Um, my dad was the sailor and and my brother Brad, who also obviously went to BU, he and I, um, we'd play hockey in the winter and we'd sail in the summer. And we sailed out of Barrington Yacht Club on Narragansett Bay. And, um, you know, when I first started sailing, I hated it. I mean, when I say hate, I mean, I detested it. And um, um, my father convinced me at a very young age just to give it one more shot. And I met a couple friends. And before you know it, I went from hating it to loving it and you know, like all of us, get every good sailor at BU, um, for some reason, God blessed us with the ability to make a boat go fast. For some bizarre reason, you know, it just um, nobody really knows why. And but so I, I, I met Skip White. He was our coach back there. I, I went to um, his his uh, he, he had a shop like where he sold all kinds of sailing parts and pieces called Can-Am Sailcraft. And and that's where I guess in the day you, we were getting recruited and it was either BU or URI or I think maybe Charleston were my kind of bottom, my three choices and ended up going to BU. I, I loved every second of BU. Um, uh, you know, freshman year, being the, being a kid that nobody really knew about, you know, we, we were pretty, we were pretty tight in our group on Narragansett Bay, but we, as kind of young sailors, you know, we, we didn't do a lot of traveling. We, we had plenty of sailing to do on Narragansett Bay. So, so it was kind of meeting all these kids I've been reading about forever, you know, and you had a choice. I remember at the time, freshman year, either to be in awe of these kids that you've been reading about that have been going to the youth worlds and going to do this big youth thing and that big youth thing, or go try to kick their ass. So um, my crew and I um, uh, decided, let's go try to kick their ass. And we won the freshman New England's at, at down in Yale in the 420s. And even our own team was shocked, you know, like, who the hell are, they? who the hell is this guy? And, and it just kept snowballing from there, you know, just as you kept winning, um, more opportunities, uh, you know, so from just sailing freshmen to then doing some varsity events, um, uh, and then being an All-American sophomore year, just again it just kept snowballing and, and if ever tell kids want anything um just keep winning you know like you have to win on every level there's no skipping levels you know there's no skipping um there's no skipping out on on any any step it's like anything in life you got to work your ass off to get to the next step and once you get to the next step you, you kind of continually get recruited and and you know, right through college. And, you know, we had a really good, we had a really good year, my junior year. That was the year we won, we won sloops and we won dignies and we won team racing. And that, that was the year I was college sales of the year. And again, none of these were ever expected. I was literally that day-to-day guy where I'd get up in the morning and wonder what I was going to have for, for breakfast that day and start there and, and not take, not try to jump any steps further forward and, and just, uh, yeah, it just turned into, it turned into a career, obviously. Um, 
I, you know, I was thinking about going to law school when I was at there, I was taking pre-law classes and I was a history major. And so I was, I was thinking about law. And then I think um, senior year, I was one of the few people who knew what I was going to do for, I had a job, you know, I got recruited by shore sales down in Newport, Rhode Island. I've lived in Newport ever since, um, been in the sale making industry ever since. Um, it was, it was kind of days before there was pro sailing. So, so, uh, you, you went and sailed for a boat builder or a sail maker or a mass maker. And, and my job was to keep winning, you know, so J 24s and lightnings and little snipes and, um, but mainly turned into J 24s and that turned into bigger boats and bigger boats. Before you know it, you're doing America's cups and Volvos and, just keep winning, just keep your head down and keep winning and, and everything just kind of falls in place afterwards. So um, I, I, I've had an unbelievable career and still going strong. I'm doing a transatlantic race in a couple of weeks. And um, uh, yeah, I, I, I can honestly say I owe pretty much all of it to be, you know, to that experience and teaching me how to get organized and get my act together. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Jumping back <clears throat> To freshman year, what was the what was the culture like as you joined the team? So you had the was your freshman was your crew a freshman as well, or did you change around, or how did that sort of work out? Yeah, so uh, you know, I I weighed at the time, I was I was big for flying juniors, or you know, I I was big for four twenties especially. So I was six one and like a hundred and. I, you know, if I worked hard, I, I could get to 165 or something. And, you know, but that's big, you know, in, in, yeah. even in today's day and age. And so I, I was always in search of tiny crews. But I ended up with this kid, Joel, um, and he was, he was little. He was probably a 125-pound guy, little, but strong. And if it was a windy regatta, um, wherever we were, it wasn't, it wasn't close. You know, we, we would just dominate. We'd have to work a little harder in, in the light. But pretty quickly... Um, Day one of practice, Skip White um, put our, our captain, Brad White, who recently passed, um, uh, which is a shocker in its own right. Um, he crewed for me that first day in, 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 uh, in practice, the very first day of BU practice. And he said, just go see what this kid's all about. So Brad White gets and we won. I, I tell the story as we won two races in a row. And then Skip took him out and put in Joel, this other kid again. And uh, as he got out, he said, you know what? You're not half bad. Um, you know, if you really work your ass off, uh, you could be an All-American by the time you're a senior. I think you got some talent. And I'm like, screw this guy. Yeah. I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to be that timeline. And, uh, but it, it, everything served for some reason, everything served as motivation, you know? And so that was, that was motivation in its own right. And um, yeah, it was, it, welcoming and we used to i don't know if you guys still do it we used to have tuesday night like big uh meetings tuesday night sailing team meetings so you you digest what everybody did that following weekend and you talk about the schedule ahead for the week we didn't practice on monday so tuesday through friday we would practice and then tuesday night meetings were a big deal and when you did a when you did a regatta you had to stand up in front of the group and tell everybody what happened who did what who did where what'd you learn stuff like that and so I stood up after, after, the, uh, after that um, New England championship win and, and uh, 
and had to tell my story. And I think still the, the, the crowd was amazed. It's like, who the hell is this kid? You know, I just, just, just decided to work harder, I think, than everybody else. That, that's, that's all. It, it, was, it, it was fascinating time. Was it gym or was it on the water or, or what, what was, what did you No, it you was, were? um, yeah, no, it was some, it was, uh, it was just some room. Um, I don't know. I forget where it was. It was, it was just like a big, like a small little, it wasn't a classroom, but it was something a little bigger than that. I forget where it was. And it was, and it was, um, yeah, it was, it was really meaningful because you got to tell your story, you know, and as, as brand new to the whole thing. It, it was pretty cool. It was it was a big night. Oh, I, that's interesting. We do that a little bit. Um, we've kind of changed up, not as much, but the debrief part sounds like it really improved um, uh, that your game. Um, what did what else did Skip White do that really transformed kind of the team? So so again, I think I think coaching now is much more diligent. I mean, Skip at the time. He was more of a mentor than a coach. You know, we, we didn't do drills. We did we we went out and raced every day. You know, we would race out to the race course. We'd rake back from the race course, and we just race and race and race and race. And and then he'd talk in between races. He'd come over and say, "What did you think about this and this and this?" We had assistant coach named Ron Sandstrom, and Ron was more of kind of the nuts and bolts guy. He he taught Ron. He taught us. He he traveled with the freshman class and. He was the guy kind of from a tactical standpoint, he really focused on the water and what you saw and what you were looking for and, and what was working and what wasn't working. Skip was maybe a little more of a, bo a boat speed guy. So the two of them had really good um, yin and yang. And um, uh, yeah, it was, it was just, yeah, they worked really well together. And Skip, you know, Skip kept putting me in positions to succeed or fail. And, and he kind of left it up to me. Like, this is up to you and and um yeah fortunately most of the time at least try to raise to the rise to the challenge mm -hmm. um when you got into college was the team a big shock to you or or how did you kind of get past the, the ambition of the these big guys on the team and and just fight your way to the top was it a big shock yeah, to you or? no that no not really because I guess I had lived in a, in a kind of a team atmosphere, being a hockey player. I was always in the locker room, you know? And so um, I think a lot of kids go, it's a good question, actually. I've never been asked this question. It's a good question. Cause I think a lot of young kids come out of opties or come out of four twenties or whatever they're sailing 29ers or 49ers. And it's, it's like one or two person teams all the time. But I think because of hockey, I was used to being having a big locker room full of people, you know, and um, uh, so so I I didn't find it intimidating. In fact, pretty quickly, you, you realize that the sailing team is going to become your best friends anyway. That's your little click. That's your home. You know, you got a problem. Somebody on the sailing team is going to help you out. you got a, questions about school life and everything else. Um that sailing team just became family. We did everything together. I mean, literally everything. And uh, uh, yeah, so so I think a lot of the, especially especially when you had a really good captain like Brad White. And Brad White, not only was he a great guy, but he was he was kind of a bit of a father figure to a lot of the younger folks. And he would just make sure that 
if you had problems, he, he'd help you find solutions. So I, I think it's up to the upper class people um, to always look out for this, this next generation and make sure that they find their way. Because some people probably adapt to it better than others. And I, I think probably be because of hockey um, and that locker room experience and bigger teams, it, it probably came a little more naturally for me. Mm-hmm. So freshman year, you had the, the father figure, Brad White, kind of leading you. As that developed through college, as Brad graduated, how did that change or who filled his place or how did you become a leader in the team? Well, I was probably kind of a reluctant leader um, at the time. I was, I think as I look back, I wasn't a very good captain, um, not in a way Brad was, because I, I was just so focused on myself and winning every single weekend. You know, I, I probably... I could have done a much better job at being cap. I think the captain has to almost um, that the, the sailing that the racing side of it is just a part of the experience for a captain. Um, uh, it, I, I couldn't separate. I, I couldn't do that. You know, the racing side was everything for me. So, um, so you know, uh, somebody like Brad. Brad did a lot of. He did a lot of. Um, actually crewing um heavy air crewing you know he, he wasn't a front he wasn't the front line guy so he could really he could spend time kind of making sure everybody else is in line and that the team was doing what the team's supposed to do the team was doing what skip wanted one you know he, he was in a way an assistant coach to skip um yeah i mean i guess my any sort of my leadership was just through trying to be dominant on the water and that probably wasn't good enough frankly i so yeah i I, i'm kind of thinking this all through out loud right now so i was i was a captain my senior year Mm -hmm. i I think i i was having too much fun and and kind of working hard at sailboat racing than i was at being a good captain (laughs) you know it was it was a different day and age having fun was equally as important to the uh to the racing itself so that was that was a pretty big focus at the same time uh it seems like it as you as you balance school and sailing how did those come together did one take over the other or it seems like the racing was really all all encompassing yeah for sure i you i re, you read about this a lot with student athletes um you might know, my college roommate, my junior and senior year was Pete Melvin. And he was in a, he was in, he was a great sailor in his own right. And, and it went on to be a great um, yacht designer. And um, <clears throat> he was trying to be, he was going to engineering school, you know, so he actually studied hard, you know. And so you could see where that took away from his sailing because he, he, he couldn't go to practice every day. You know, he, he was, he had studied. Um, I kind of set up my, let's be honest, um, my parents, my dad will hear this and he'll be like, I knew it, but my focus was sailing. You know, it, it was 100% sailing. So I set up my schedule around trying to become a better sailor. And, um, and and you know, a guy like Pete didn't have an option. So you could see where his, especially his middle couple of years, um, you know, he probably had more talent than anybody on the team, but he just couldn't spend the time. And uh, yeah, so so there's no question in my mind where my priority was. That was that was sailing, probably. Mm-hmm. So when you when you came all American, we'll just start with the first goal. You got in, and kind of your goal was to be an all American pretty early on. 
And then when you got that, what what was the next step? Was it college of the year or, or what, what did you just, what did you move on to? So, so it just opened up doors, right? So, so it, even in sailing today, so I, I help run North sales, right. And, and kind of our North technology group, but I'll tell you, if somebody comes to us and they're an all American sailor coming out of college, for some reason that says to me, it's a different pedigree, right? It's a, it's a different sort of person. And, and we love having smart people that work for us that also have racing pedigrees because we're a performance company and, and smart people think of new things. And um, if you got through engineering and, you know, some sort of engineering and, uh, and we're an all American at the same time, and you can work for a company like ours, it, 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 it says something to me. So I, I just think that, um, I think that, that the kids, there's opportunities. Um, there's more opportunities that people know these days in the marine industry that are real viable opportunities that you can, you can play with your livelihood and you can, um, you can play and, and have your livelihood kind of melt itself into one. And that's what happened for me. So you become an all American and then it's like, okay, this isn't good enough. And then all of a sudden they're getting, you know, J24 was the hot class at the time, brand new class, um, you know, four or five years old, four years old. And, and it's all of a sudden a, this company gives me their J24 for the summer to, and they give me an expense account. It's like an expense account. Holy crap. Somebody's going to pay for gas, you know, to do this, you know, it, it was just a, it was a different world. So here we are traveling all over the place, teaching sailing in Barrington um, uh, on the week, every weekend, somewhere on the J24. I mean, we sailed seven days a week and when you do that, you just get better. You don't even know you're getting better, but you just keep getting better. And then that J24 program that taught me how to kind of run a team and it's a five person team, but you got to deal with all the logistics and, um, and how to separate responsibilities on the boat and who's in charge of the hull, who's in charge of the sales, who's in charge of organization, all that kind of stuff. And just, again, I keep using the phrase a lot, snowballing, but it kept snowballing. And, and so just want more, you know, that, that, that's how I was tuned. You know, you just, you can't stop it at your laurel there. there. There's another, there's another level to go. And that's just kept doing it. Just kept going. When you were leading this, um, this day 24 program and, and teaching these lessons, it's kind of a precursor to the huge program you do with Comanche, but what lessons did you learn teaching and, and leading um, this J24 program? Was there any hard lessons that you learned or? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely learned that I was better at running a sailboat program than I was probably at teaching. Um, again, I, I was probably too selfish for teaching. You know, I, I just, um, even today, you know, when, if I fall back on running a program, I just feel at home. I feel, it feels natural. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm of the adage that I, I just want to be the dumbest person in the room. Like I want to surround, I have the, I, I want to surround myself with really smart, really good people. And I have the confidence to do that. And, and because you have to have confidence to do that. I think a lot of people surround themselves with people they can kind of put their thumb thumb on, but I don't know. I, I just try to get the best people possible. So running programs, you get the best people possible and you put them in the positions where they can thrive. And, and before you know it, you're going to have a good program. Um, you know, teaching sailing was different. It was, an, it was another organizational level and trying to keep track of a bunch of kids. And, uh, you know, I did it for a, a long time, but, um, 
I probably wasn't great at it now that I think back on the whole thing. Um, but definitely those J24 lessons of how to, to run and, and to run a winning campaign, how to win a regatta and run a campaign like that. Um, you know, how to finally win a world championship. You know, you can win at all kinds of different levels, but then to win at the highest level, um, it took something different and it took a while to, to learn what that difference was. And, and so, yeah, it's a process and, and, and a fun process. Mm -hmm. When you were on the water, um, what sort of things did you learn about the preparation of the team and, and practicing and what really changed to make you a world champion rather than just a J24 sailor? Yeah, so that's so learning how to win at that level is a different pressure. It's a different mentality. It's a different level level of organization. It's a different uh, preparation. It's learning how to how to manage your regatta and how to not when to take chances and when to not take chances. You know, when to go for it on the starting line, when not to, when to attack the people around you, and when to let the situation breathe. It, it was a process and it meant losing a couple of really painful world championships where we were the dominant boat, but just figured out how to lose. You had to figure out how to win. You had to take those spots that, that did you in and turn it in, turn them into positives and rather than negatives. So I started going into those types of events with an absolute strategy of how hard we were going to push each race, where we were going to take chances, how to stay out of the protest room how to just keep your head clear. Yeah, it was, it, it was, um, it was a process and it doesn't happen overnight. And again, you gotta, you gotta fail. You gotta learn, learn from your failures um, long before you, you gain successes. At least I did. And, um, and it was also splitting the division of responsibilities, you know, not trying to do it all. You know, at the beginning I tried to do everything because that's what you do when you're a kid. And, and um, you know, I, I would give, the whole preparation to to the guy who did the cockpit his name is carl anderson i still work with him today um just this is your boat this is your this is your hull preparation this is what we want to do this is what we want to see let me know when it's done um i i would take care of sales and, and kind of making sure the sail development was going the way we wanted it to go the sales were new they were fresh they were ready uh they were measured in all all that stuff um we had a couple guys in charge of just the boat preparation, getting the rig in the boat. And so we would just divvy up responsibilities. So I wasn't overwhelmed when you enter a regatta because a lot of these regattas, remember, 100, 100 boats were showing up. And, and, I'm, and our company probably made sales for 30, 40%. So it wasn't just our boat, but I got, I got 30 other teams that are sitting there picking your brain, you know, what are you using for tuning here? Is that the new jib? You know, did you change the material? You know, so, so I had to also do the commercial side of things and make sure that we were selling stuff at the same time, because that inevitably you were there to win, but you were also there to earn a living because you had to figure out how to sell sales. So it was, it was until I figured out how to divide the responsibilities, it was pretty overwhelming. Did you need to be this organized? um in college sailing or did you come into college sailing disorganized or or when did you kind of step it up and put that all together yep totally disorganized couldn't have been more disorganized i think the first freshman regatta i went to the varsity team i brought all i brought a bunch of books and they threw them out the window on the highway they're like <laughs> the, the, 
the uh, the seniors that were in the van. They're like, you're an idiot. Get rid of this stuff. It threw away all my books. It's like, oh, great. Um, yeah, I was totally dis- disorganized and had to learn um, and learn the hard way. You, let's face it in college, in college sailing, you don't have to be that organized. You gotta, you gotta show yeah. up on time to, to get on the, to get on the van, to go to the regatta. Right. So, yeah. so that probably didn't teach me a lot about organization. It probably went when I was captain, I should have been more organized, but I never made that switch. Like I said earlier. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's a true story. All my books <laughs> out the window. Do you remember what they threw out? <laughs> Oh no, I, 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 I listen. I was barely studying at the time because I was having so much fun in college and so much fun on the sailing team. So I probably didn't even notice. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. So, so the other part of this is the commercial side you talked about too. So what effect did shore sailing have on you and 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 Bill Shore? Um, so Bill Shore, um, helped me become more organized because he had been doing this for a long time. He, he, like I said, there's, there's the commercial side and there's the winning side of of what we did and what still what I do today. Right. So you have to kind of mix, mix the two and Bill kind of taught us how to mix the two. He taught us how to sell bigger boats. You know, we got into doing SORCs and offshore racing and, you know, we're sailing 40 footers. Those were huge boats at the time. And, um, uh, you know, how to sail these boats, how to, how to tune them, how to, and he and I would sit around for hours having a cocktail after racing, talking, you know, I just, I loved picking Bill's brain. And I think Bill really liked um, giving information to, out to younger people. Like there was a really good group of young people. I mean, my, my brother ended up coming and working with us um, after he graduated. Um, and then this guy, Dan Neri and I um, bought, shore sales from bill and doug shore in 19 i don't know none of you guys were born yet 1985 and uh and and, you know that started this kind of running running a company and and also figuring out it's just like sailboat racing figuring out what you're good at and what you will succeed in and filling filling in around you the parts and pieces that um that you aren't good at so dan dan near was really good financially really and really good you know really smart from a from a financial standpoint and from a manufacturing standpoint and i was really good in kind of sales and marketing and public relations and getting out in the public and just kind of doing my thing so um we were just a great, we, we're still we're a team today matter of fact he's retiring and he's retiring tomorrow and so he and oh. i have worked together he and i've worked together since um 1980 every day for the same company isn't that amazing that's crazy and we and we just found our niche that the other the other filled in a void that a you didn't want to do or weren't very good at and and um so i'd say that's as big a lesson learned as anything is you know find out what you're good at and and thrive in that and find other people who you can fill in the holes with And, and um yeah so that's my whole my whole career has been one form of doing that. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it, it works. There's no question that that, that methodology works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you guys did that for quite a long time. It, it turned into subset sales. Um, am I correct? Yep. 
So we were we were Shore Sales, and then and we were licensing the name. We bought the com- We bought Shore Sales Newport, Rhode Island, which was the biggest of the Shore Sales lofts. And then our license was up, and we had kind of outgrown the Shore Sales name at the time. So we uh, we licensed Sobstad for three years, and then our license was up there, and North Sales came knocking on our door and said, "We want to get younger, and and uh, you guys are obviously." doing a pretty good job in the marketplace and kind of a pain in our ass. So they bought our company from us. So it was 19, I think it was 1996 where we sold the company to North sales. And right after that is when I got the phone call from Dennis Connor. Do I want to come skipper is America's cup boat in New Zealand. And so again, just these crazy opportunities just kept, presenting themselves and i kept saying yes <laughs> sure why not i thought it was a crank call he called he called the loft one day and we had just been bought by north and um and i thought it was one of my buddies i thought it was a crank call i'm like cut the shit i i, I thought it was this guy brad dimio i'm like what do you want he's like well this is dennis connor i'm like yeah right so what do you want <laughs> turns out it was dennis connor and i almost screwed it up <laughs> oh, but glad glad you did it. Because you, you yeah, made it down there. Yeah. And um and what was the team like there? So you had the team that you were leading, um, the J twenty four programs and the other programs that you were with at Eschels. Mm-hmm. Um and then what was the change like from being kind of the leader there to being just a, a part of a team with um Dennis Connors programs? Yeah, so it was really different, right? So it was it was it's first of all, the first one, two thousand we were kind of a ragtag group last minute, one boat program, barely enough money, um, put it, just put it together, but I, I didn't know any better. So, you know, Chuck Brown who'd been selling with me in J 24s, you know, he, he was on the main and, uh, or, or actually main assist. And I mean, it was just my buddies I've been sailing with half the team was just my buddies and the other half were kind of Dennis's guys he had been sailing with for a while. And we put together this, I think it's fair to say this kind of ragtag team started out pretty, pretty poorly and, um, and slowly started building and figured a couple things out. And by the third round, we're pretty good and um, made it into the final knockout rounds and made it to the last race of that to go on to the semifinals and, and lost in the last race when we could have moved on and raced against Prada um, in the finals. So um it was shocking, actually. It, it, we were really good that time. There were no expectations. We were having a blast. Um, you know, we could barely afford a new sale. Um, it, it was really different. The next time around, there were expectations. We had a two-boat program. We sank one of them out in Long Beach when we were training. Uh, it, it was like the first one. Everything that went right in the first one went wrong in the second one. The second, the second program just never, just never clicked. And it, it was bigger. Like I said, lots of expectations. Um, you know, the the boat design process just wasn't. It was kind of old school. There wasn't this collaboration of all these groups. Anyway, it was of the two programs. The first one was by far the most enjoyable because there was we just we just lived day to day and figured out a way to win the next day and just completely blew away expectations about what we could do. It was it was quite fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in J24 and Eschels, you had this huge expectation because you were just a phenomenal sailor and, and winning lots and lots of world championships. And the expectations changed when you got to 
the America's Cup. What was that like? What was the um, what was the the team sort of like? Um, I I'd say maybe internally the expectations didn't change. Um, probably externally they did. You know, outside oh, pressures. Okay. Um, you got people giving you money first of all. They have a say in things. So, you know, somebody gives you 500 bucks, next thing you know, they're telling you that the keel fin is wrong. It's like you got to live. It was actually fascinating how, how like a $5 donation turns into you need more twist in your mainsail or something. That's <laughs> very funny. Um, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I guess, yeah, J24s, actuals, those types of boats, and gotten in, in, into bigger boats. You showed up on the starting line expecting to win America's Cup. You had to earn that, right? And we, we were just start, it, it kind of felt like you're a kid all over again. You know, I, I was one of the young guys, um, and yeah. especially in 2000, I was I was the young guy. And match racing was a big part of it, and and kind of getting better at match racing and getting comfortable with match racing. And Peter Holmberg sailed with us in that first in that first one in 2000, and he was really helpful. We used to go just have bloodbath match races against each other. He was quite a good match racer. Uh, Peter Eisler was a big part of that. Um, Peter uh, had lots of cup experience and he was our navigator and kind of did some of the tactics. Tom Whitten, actually, my boss at North Sales, came down. He was kind of the, the father figure, kind of keeping the glue together. You know, Dennis was crazy. Dennis kind of out doing whatever he ever did. He, he never sailed on the boat. Um, but he was kind of ever presence. Tom helped manage Dennis and keep, keep Dennis kind of at arm's length. So it didn't get too crazy. Um, yeah. It was just every day. It was a different day. Every day you woke up going, Oh Christ, what the hell is going to happen today? You just didn't know. Whereas I think in J24s or actuals, you know exactly what's happening the next day, you know, where you're having breakfast, what you're going to order, um, what time you're going to be at the boat, who's in charge of the, of the racing instructions, you know, it was really structured that the cup stuff was like, here we go. You know, <laughs> it was pretty, it was, it was cool living in Auckland too. That was kind of fun. That was a fun experience yeah, for the whole team. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any other stories about the other cup campaign and, and campaigns? Yeah, I think expectations really, um, we didn't handle that well. And, um, and the other thing you learn is boat speed is king, right? In every everything. Um, when I do when I do this commentating now for the cup, the first thing I ever said is boat speed is the tactician's best friend, right? So you can look like the smartest tactician in the world, but if you're a click faster, it, it's not that hard, right? So we've we've all learned that. So when in doubt, go fast. And um, yeah, so. So we learned the first time around, especially in a breeze in 2000, we were quick, we got quick in a breeze. Um, if it was light, we were never good, but we totally geared our boat towards one condition. Like, let's hope like hell we get lucky here. Yeah. Um, the second time we tried to do an all purpose boat. And again, just the process of putting it all together never worked out. Uh, it, it just didn't work. Um, and we were never fast enough. So when you're not fast enough, things get frustrating and, you know, Terry Hutchinson sailed with, we had a, we had a spectacular crew, um, uh -huh. but we just could never get it together that time around. Just never got it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the transition from there then to, to the Volvo programs. Um, yeah. What was that like? What was it? Well, it, it, 
it was crazy. First of all, I, when I did the first offshore, um, you know, the first Volvo legs I ever did was with a team uh, named Ericsson and they were, they were already two thirds of the way around the world and they had, they had great expectations. They weren't living up to them. So they were firing people and you can always tell a Volvo team that isn't living up to expectations because they have tons of turnover in their crew. And Ericsson was coming up to um, the next stopover was in, uh, Oh, it was in, it was in um, Annapolis mm-hmm. in Baltimore and John Kostecki was sailing with them and he announced he was getting off the team and, this guy, Neil McDonald, was running the team. And um, I remember call, uh, calling home saying, I, I better get a phone call today. They, they need somebody kind of like me. And sure enough, like within an hour, I got a phone call from Neil McDonald saying, you want to do a couple legs? And I said, sure, I'd, I'd actually like to. I got the time. I'd, I'd like to do a couple legs and see what it's like. And you know, first leg, it blew 45 on the nose up to New York City and got the shit kicked out of us. And I learned... <laughs> I learned these guys at the time were really, really, really good at um, keeping their cigarettes lit when when um, yeah. waves are coming over the boat. They were they were unbelievably good at that. These guys were were nuts. I just learned how nuts Volvo sailors were on that first leg. And then the second, the next leg from New York to England, um, that was the leg where a uh, uh, guy drowned on ABN Ambo, Amro two and a boat sank so boat sank and a guy died um on, on really my first major ocean leg yeah and i was questioning every what the hell am i doing here you know this is insanity it was three full um three full-on cold fronts came through and it was these were conditions that you only can imagine or you can't even imagine and these guys once you once you're around the world some of these guys have gone around the world multiple times and they're kind of, well, you're never used to it, but kind of used to it. Mm-hmm. And my eyes were so wide open and you're getting a report that a guy's been lost off another boat. And uh, I, so I almost stopped right there, but I decided to tough it through the end. And I'm really glad I did because the experience was like nothing you could ever imagine. It, it, it's so physically and mentally hard that it gives you a new, um, it just gives you a whole new outlook on everything you do in life um, and what hard is, right? So mm-hmm. my definition of what hard is after sailing offshore like that is so different. I can't even it make everything, everything in like, life easier. Everything <laughs> is easy, right? Everything is easy. Here we are, this beautiful location. And trust me, this is easy, but everything becomes easy. And um yeah, it was fascinating. And, and and that turned into, um, you know, again, right time, right place, meeting a guy who was the uh, uh, major stakeholder in Puma at the time. And they were thinking about getting into sailing and turn into sponsorships and turn it into building boats and really enjoy the finding designers and developing boats and, and surrounding yourself with a team and how to surround yourself with a team. Listen, it, it it's a bigger program. There's more at stake, but it's all the same, whether you're doing it for your, for your 420 or your college sailing team or building a team for Puma or Comanche or whatever, finding the right people, putting them in the right places to arrive and let them go, let them do their thing. If you try to micromanage, it's never going to work. And, uh, and so that's how we built those programs and they were pretty successful. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a huge difference from the first, 
Volvo, you you did sort of to the, the Puma. You had new bow, new sponsor, new people too. How did you choose the people? What 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 allowed you to do that? So the so the first time um, the first Puma program was a bit of an all star team. I was in a bit over my head, frankly. I you know I was going to be the skipper of the boat, but you know I'd only done three real full-fledged offshore legs in my life and so uh, i could get a boat around the buoys no problem but it, it was it was a project to, to, and so i put a bit of an all-star team together and when you do that you do it there's benefits obviously there's talent but there's also risk because there's a lot of big egos and there's no kind of chiefs and indians there's a lot of chiefs and not as as many indians quite possibly so we had a lot of turnover. We ended up second overall in that, in that race, which was a real um, testament to the team. Mm -hmm. um, we came on really strong at the end because there was turnover and it took a while to kind of find a good mesh of people to, to work together. And I'm not saying that the people that didn't stick around weren't great. It's just, it was finding a chemistry amongst the team that, that worked as much as anything. Um, Cause they're all, ridiculously talented sailors in, in in their own right um so anyway it that that chemistry is something that i learned a lot about and that you have to have whether it's running a business or running a sailboat program that chemistry and and finding those niches you have to have that because if you try to just develop a a, a team of all-stars it, it doesn't work it just simply doesn't work mm -hmm. was that the first time that it really came into focus or had you seen that on other programs in the in the previous years um no i think it was the first time it really came into focus uh it was certainly um that first puma program was really it became obvious really quickly you know we had mm -hmm. by the time we came into south africa we were we were we were second on the very first leg we did that time and uh we had two guys that weren't speaking to each other they were on the same watch and they weren't speaking to each other like it was there was some tension um and yeah so the changes started early got really kind of tough in the middle of the race and finally about three quarters of the way through the race i said screw it just stop being a nice guy here and you got to make you got to my job is to make the tough decisions and we made some tough decisions and kind of rebuilt a whole chemistry with the program and it turned and it worked and so the last three or four legs we had a one, one, two, two or something like that and, and mm -hmm. ended up second in the event and it worked. So yeah, it, it took a while for me to figure it out, but once we figured it out, um, you, you have to make the hard decisions and it's not personal. Mm -hmm. It's, it's business, you know, it, 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 beca it became a business. Was there anybody you looked up to and putting together that program or, or changing your leadership style that you, um, or how did you, ch how did you change your leadership style? What, what, obviously there was well, a huge event that prompted it um, yeah exactly definitely but i think it just became obvious over time i i listen one of i probably one of my flaws is i like being i like being liked you know it's a weird it's a weird expression but some leaders love being the enemy and they just you know you you read about elon musk and he fires 50 percent of the employees at twitter and he doesn't even blink an eye it's, uh, I'm not that guy, right? I, I struggle. I struggle. I, I'd rather everybody like me and we just try to figure it out rather than having to be the bad guy. So um, just took a little while. It took a little while to 
realize that when you're in charge, sometimes you got to be the bad guy and, and you don't have a choice. And, you know, I leaned on the guys, the CEO and the CMO of Puma. Those were my two kind of bosses at Puma. And those two guys were hugely supportive. And so even in the tough times of that race, they, um, they always backed me. They always had my back. So I guess I was pretty comfortable that I had uh, the sponsors leadership behind me that I could make the tough decisions. And yeah, they turned out to be okay in the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Transitioning from Volvo then to a more offshore program, so we can go to the beginning of the um, Comanche program. Um, what lessons did you carry over from the Volvo? You talked about the oh, every, yeah, everything, <laughs> everything. It was you know Comanche started off as kind of a big Volvo boat. It, it was for an owner um, for the for the Clarks who wanted to they wanted to win the Sydney Hobart race and they wanted to break records and um, they this was their you know, somebody buys the Boston Bruins and somebody buys the New York Knicks. And this was their, this was their athletic, you know, endeavor. And, and this is their professional program. So um, essentially they said, let's build the fastest boat in the world. And it's like, okay. And, and we were getting good at it. We had just developed, you know, two completely custom offshore boats. So we were getting pretty good at it. Took a little risk maybe with, um, Verdier and VPLP, but I, I did my homework on that and were comfortable with them. And sure enough, they had kind of the creative thinking that, that you know, 1K had a lot of creative th- thinking. He was already building the Rambler program, so I didn't, want to, I didn't want to interfere with him. So these guys were the obvious step, I think, at least at the time. And um, it's, still, it's still the best boat in the world, you know. So uh, I got a note from a kind of a, a, a fellow offshore sailor the other day congratulating me for Comanche just winning another Sydney Hobart. <laughs> and I, I thought it was weird at first and I'm like, wow. So yeah, I guess, I guess people have to, people have to make decisions on how, on how to put boats like that together. And fortunately I, again, surrounded myself with a group of um, people who I'd done Volvos with and, and other people who I respected and, and helped put, that package together a guy named casey smith and tim hackett and casey and i went around the world twice together and he lived in newport australian who and he you know there's a while there i wouldn't go offshore without casey because if something broke casey could fix it and and you know he just became the critical link to to programs that i was doing tim hackett ran all the stuff offshore chemo worthington helped run all these programs kind of as a general manager in the background. And we had, you know, for about 10 year period there, we had a, we had a nice group uh, that really complemented each other, you know, um, who deals with what level of detail and, and you could see it in the boats that we were doing. They were good. They were, they weren't good boats. They were great boats. And, And it was a team effort and a lot of key decisions that had to be, that had to be made were made correctly or they wouldn't have been great boats and, and so it was something to be proud of and hopefully got in another couple of these types of boats in me still because um that knowledge doesn't go away and hopefully it gets enhanced over time mm-hmm. for the influence with with jim clark on comanche and the puma sponsorship on um on the volvo boat did your leadership style change or or what was that what was the influence of puma and what was the influence of um jim clark <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, no question. So you, you really, a big part of my job starts with either a client or sponsor management. So I got to make sure that the owners and, and you hand off more and more of that daily responsibility to others. So, you know, when you're, when you're running your J24 program, you, the daily responsibilities start with you. When you're running a Comanche or a Puma program, the daily responsibilities sometimes you should have nothing to do with them, like literally nothing. Let's make sure you know, I might be on a plane to Munich to be speaking to at a sponsor function, or I might be, uh, I might be dealing with the Clarks on something on, on Hanneman on their big boat, just to make sure they're happy there. So they, so they keep, you know, it's just, yeah, the, the responsibilities become different and you, you do. I think you end up doing the bigger picture, you know, picking the designer, um, picking the key members of the team, um, owner or sponsor uh, management and and do that really well because you can't get bogged down in the details nearly as much which which in a way is a little sad because that's part of the fun but um yeah like i said before surround yourself with people better than you at those sorts of responsibilities and everything will turn out just fine all right kiddo thank you so much awesome would you We'll just jump now to sort of what you're doing now. Um, you're commentating and you're also sailing. Um, how do you – and there's, there's three parts, the commentating, the, the sailing, and then now the leadership in North. How do you stay sharp with all three of those? Um, yeah, so this, the sailing and North have always come hand in hand. You know, again, this is as much uh, client, um, client management as possible, as you can imagine um, – when I go sailing with a client, PG Laura Piana with his brand new Swan Canton Keel 80 footer, you know, or I'm doing this transatlantic race on a Swan 115 called Jazzy with a really good client out of, um, out of Sweden. It's a global company. Um, we have lots of big programs. Um, and, and most of the sailing I do now is based around making clients happy. Um, so, so sailing in North, I, I equate, as one the commentating is interesting because when i got asked to do the cup in it was a 2013 out in san francisco um it, it was more along the lines of hey actually that puma was the sponsor of that cup was one of the sponsors they were the they were the apparel sponsor and the guy and i guess cooch is looking he was looking to kind of change up the voices maybe in the booth and and this guy from puma said i I've heard this guy read bullshit anybody at any time, you know, like he, he can talk his way through anything. Um, look, look what he did. He got all this money from Puma. So he's got to be good talker. So they had uh -huh. they brought me out for a tryout. And, um, and I tried out with, a, with Todd Harris, who was, who actually knew what he was doing. We sat there and we, we did commentating before you know it, the two of us are laughing. Like we're, we're laughing about something happening in the middle of the race. And you could tell our chemistry just hit it like that. So, so I went back to North and said, you know, I'm going to kind of have all these, all these teams buy our sales anyway. So in my role as president, I'm, I'm going to be, have to be out there at some form or fashion anyway. Mm -hmm. um, why don't I just become kind of the expert in the booth? And, 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 and they always say he's from North sales or I can wear a North sales hat or they, they're always really um, good about that. And it keeps me close to the young sailors. It keeps me to the close to this kind of revolution and sailing, this foiling revolution and sailing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, 
And Tom said, yeah, okay, let's, let's give it a try. And it didn't work good. It worked great. You know, all of a sudden the president of North sales is also telling the world how this sailing kind of works. So you look like you look and feel like, you know what you're doing, first of all. And, and I got access to all the teams. Like I never would have gotten access before I could, I could just, you know, I could call Ben Ainsley before a race in San Francisco and say, who's in the afterguard? You know, wh what are you doing today? How'd you, how'd you figure out how to foil, you know, and, or Spithill or, or Slingsby or one, or any of those guys. I went sailing on, on New Zealand, you know, that the, I went sailing on New Zealand on the New Zealand cat the day that they figured out how to foil upwind, uh -huh. you know, so, and by the way, it's scary as hell. <laughs> the sound. <laughs> so anyway, it, it just worked. It, it, um as so it all links to north i guess that's the bottom line the commentary links to north as well you know we have it, all five teams this time around all have our sales and um i i just i think they feel more comfortable with me i think the sailors feel comfortable with me because i was a sailor and i'm not going to throw them under the bus if, if they make yeah. a mistake i'm going to talk about the mistake but i'm yeah. not going to make shit up in, in order to make the story better I, i'm gonna i'm i'm and I think the sailors are comfortable with that. So they, they also talk to me more because they want, they want me to know. They want you as the person watching the broadcast in the race. Yeah. They want you to know accurately how, um, what's going on on the, on the water. They, they don't want us guessing. So, mm -hmm. so I think because of that, they're much more apt to, to talk. And um, yeah, and so I think it makes for a really good product and, and it's good for North Sales. Yeah. It, we'll just have the last question. I'll talk about the client relations. So you're on these a lot of these boats as well to to work with them and sail them and race them. How has your leadership style changed from these programs now to the the Comanche programs in the um or the the Puma program in the past? Yeah, I I, I hate using the phrase, but it's I, I see things more from thirty thousand feet now, right? I I. I'm clearly not as much boots on the ground. Uh, I'm, I'm that, I'm, I'm probably the worst nightmare. I'm that hovering guy who, who oversees and makes sure the direction stays constant. Um, very, not a lot of, you know, the detail I get involved with, I might, I get still get in detail on kind of the marketing and, uh, and sales end of, of North sales. But, you know, we have executive groups and, and you're dealing with ownership and it's not it's not unlike, you know, I always say running a program like Comanche or a Puma program is the same exact thing as running North Sales. It, it's just I just took that experience and brought it to North Sales with me and I handle it the same way. It, it's when you have to get down and dirty and you've got to and you got to throw an uppercut one day, then you get in there and you do it. But for the most part. You're relying on the troops, on the really, really talented people around you to to do their job, to kind of pull as one, to pull as a team, keep the team working together as a team, make sure the executive group is working as a team and make sure ownership is happy. You know, so it's it's just North Sales is just a big sailing program. You know, yeah. if you really look at it that way, it's a massive boat with a ton of ton of sails <laughs> with 2000, 2000 sailors, 2000 employees. <laughs> yeah so one last question so we talked about goals at the beginning goals in college what's your goals now where we'll say um like end of the year and five years out what what do you what do you said for yourself well 
um, probably goals right now are probably a little more commercial than than what makes for an exciting story, you know, and making sure that North Sales and, and North Technology Group, you know, we have Southern Spars and Hall Spars and Future Fibers, and we have we have a kite, we have an action sports group, kites and, and foils and, and, and winging, and uh, we have an apparel company. Um, my detail in all those companies go from almost every, every day in North Sales and most days in Southern Spars, Hall Spars, Future Fibers. Um, to very little in the other in the other parts of it, but we're st it's still part of our group. Mm -hmm. So goals are probably a little more commercial than they used to be. You know, make sure that companies humming that we're selling stuff and we got stuff to build. And there's usually decisions that have to be made at upper levels to make sure that everything's moving moving as one in the right direction. And then when you do do a race from time to time, don't forget that you're a sailboat racer and that's what got you here. So doing this transit, you know, I'm doing a race from the, it's the Royal Ocean Racing Club, the ROC does a, uh, a, what they call a transatlantic race from the Canary Islands down to Grenada. So that starts on the 4th of January. Uh -huh. So hop on a boat, make it go fast and make sure it's safe and make sure the owner of the boat stays happy and, um, and uh, you know, have fun offshore sailing. I haven't, you know, I, I don't get to go offshore quite as much as I did um, not not too long ago so yeah when, when you when you have a sailing event make sure you're structured and make sure you're gonna be successful or or and tr try your hardest to be successful and and help ownership have fun and i think that's that's as much as uh, that's as important a job as uh anything i do right now mm -hmm. that's exciting that's really exciting well ken thank you so much for um sitting down and talking it was um great to hear about um the whole the whole your whole story i'm coming up to a bu hockey game i think middle of february so uh so maybe i'll okay. see all you guys up there then yeah yeah let us know and we'll um we'll love to stay in touch or, or grab lunch or something well good good luck and um everything mm -hmm. everything's tied to bu uh, in my life at, in some form or fashion so uh, it's good to talk to you and um and yeah thanks for the time it's fun yeah take care ken all right good luck see ya